G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Yes, a conversation you might like to join into over this next hour, especially if you're aware of and even experiencing the overload that comes from addiction to mobile devices. Uh, Today's conversation could be the best ever conversation for you if you're in a state where you feel like it's just overwhelming what I've got to do with these mobile devices of mine. In fact, with so many in lockdown, it's even timelier to talk about an issue like this. We're going to be unpacking today how to make space in the digital age for thinking, for deep rest and real relationships. A new book by an Australian pastor explains how tech forms us, from the scientific, you know, the neurological and the sociological, to the spiritual perspectives in all of this that we do in our tech environment. It offers new insights to help Christians rethink our relationship with the online world and practical ways to live differently. Our special guest over this next hour is Daniel C. Daniel is a bivocational church pastor who leads Together Church in Hobart, Tasmania. He also leads the Together Network, which is uh, an organization which has trained nearly a thousand people to read the Bible online with unchurched friends on Zoom during the pandemic. We'll talk about that. Daniel's new book is called Space Maker, about making space in the digital age for things that really matter. And we're not just talking about a good theory today. Daniel C. is also married with three kids, and at times the family all struggle to put down their phones. It could be a great practical conversation. Get ready to participate. Daniel C., a welcome along to 2020. Yeah, hi. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me on the show. Daniel, wonderful to have you on the show. And uh, let me just start with, uh, you know, do you have your own story to tell here? There must be something that inspires you to uh, put all your time and effort into writing a book like you have. Uh, What's your own experience engaging with the digital world? Yeah, look, absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, I'm a bivocational pastor and do some global training in, I suppose, how to help people experience the hope of Jesus online. And I'm also a a business director and run a productivity company. So I'm obviously fairly full in my life with three kids and a community to care about as well. Uh, I read a stat today, actually, that uh, last year, the globe spent 3.3 trillion minutes or 6.3 million years on Zoom calls, just Zoom calls. So it's like 6.3 million years on Zoom. Uh, and I've experienced Zoom fatigue, being online for hours and hours last year in lockdown and then during the year. Uh, I've experienced just how hard it is to not reach for my phone first thing in the morning when I wake up before prayer 
and then you know to play games or to look at social media or the news lasting at night you know i've i've felt the gravitational pull of my devices even as i want to serve god and 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 love people around me and and all of that has has caused me to start to rethink my relationship with the online world uh, how it impacts my heart and my head and my habits as a disciple or apprentice of Jesus, and and how I might practically uh, be really productive by actually using technology at times uh, in in a less addictive way. When you use terminology like Zoom fatigue, is that, do you think, Daniel, something of a symptom of what we're talking about here when you're feeling overloaded or overwhelmed uh, by the tech world? Yeah, look, absolutely. And I think Zoom fatigue is just one experience that we have, and it's been building in our culture even before the pandemic. But I feel like since COVID happened last year, uh, more and more people are starting to recognize that uh, there are limitations to being online all the time. And so as a productivity coach, I, I coach leaders. It's not a Christian organization. I coach leaders and executives around Australia and actually around the world. And what I notice is there's a smallish group of people, uh, let's say senior leaders and managers who struggle to be productive because they uh, don't have tech skills or tech habits. Uh, they're not tech aware and so they need more technology to improve their productivity. But what I also notice is an increasingly large group of leaders uh, and working parents and busy people who are actually really good at technology. They've got all the latest apps, uh, they've got the right devices, they know how to integrate them, uh, but they're online so much and they use technology from the moment they get up to the moment they go to bed. They, they use it for rest and they use it for work and it actually makes them wired and tired, uh, distracted, they're, they're busier than they've ever been before and yet they're achieving less. And all of this together uh, leads to being less productive and actually getting less done. And so when I looked in the research, I used to be a physiotherapist. I do have a background in knowing how to read scientific journals. And uh, I looked at the research, I looked at my experience, and what I realized is that uh, you need a bit of technology to get productive. But if you overuse it, uh, you actually end up becoming highly unproductive. And there's this kind of productive middle. You imagine like an inverted U-curve where a bit of tech will get you up towards productivity, then you plateau if you use too much, and then you actually slide down the right-hand side of the inverted U-curve. And what I've realized is the right side of the curve is what we call digital overuse. And the only way to actually become healthier and happier and more productive is to learn habits of what I call space making, uh, which means to create patterns and rhythms in your life uh, annually and, and weekly and daily to actually unplug and disconnect from your tools uh, to reduce your uh, addictions or your overuse of technology just at particular times in the day as a rhythm in order to actually get the best of the online world without the worst. Uh, and and that's why I'm passionate about this topic. Okay, wow. Tech makes us productive, but then there is a place at which you plateau and then you get to a point where your productivity starts to decrease. I wonder whether, is there anything in your book uh, which gives you a little bit of a self-analysis tool uh, where you can actually say, well, this is where I'm at. At, at the moment, uh, you know, tech is making me productive. Everything's going good. What's this guy Daniel C. talking about? Others are going to say, yes, the plateau is where I'm at. And then others are going to say, well, 
yes, I'm overwhelmed and uh, actually I think I get less done now that I have to pay all attention uh, to everything in the digital space. So is there a way that you can have a self-diagnosis as to where you might be at on that whole uh, spectrum? Yeah, look, there is, uh, although I think there's a point where, and I might talk about it with neuroplasticity, where self-diagnosis is difficult because uh, our, our brains have changed and so it's hard to recognise what normal is. So I can talk about that later. But uh, I think there's two ways to tell. One would be just your own symptoms and experience. If, if you feel like you are constantly wired and tired, uh, if you find it really hard to put down your phone and if you feel like you're always doing more but just can't really think deeply if you can't um, enjoy your own thoughts if you can't enjoy silence and solitude uh, if you can't read a book without wanting to suddenly pull out your phone like those kind of distraction mechanisms are symptoms of digital overuse Uh, so one is a self-diagnosis of symptoms i suppose Uh, the, the other is uh, I suppose to to do what you know Christians have always done and, and have a digital fast or fast and see what the experience is. So, uh, if you can turn off your phone for a day as an experiment, and if it makes you panic, if if the idea of turning off your phone for a day makes you panic, uh, if you feel like um, you cannot disconnect even for one day in order to rest and pray and think and and reconnect with loved ones without a device, if the experience is so painful uh, that it feels like you're losing something of yourself well then maybe that's a symptom that you're somewhat in digital overuse daniel do want to talk about spiritual aspects when we're talking about the online space too but your book isn't just for christians you've tried to broaden that and uh, you've talked about how it can shape your life and shape your faith so it's not not just a christian book that you've written you've uh, you've included all of this social science but you've also got an opportunity in there to be able to reflect uh, spiritually too but your book isn't just for christians no in fact it's not actually written for christians i wrote it uh, i suppose as part of my business but because of my faith uh, obviously it's deeply shaped so it's got endorsements by people like jack Rietwalt from the richmond tigers and uh, the head of HR for Starbucks. So it's certainly not just for a Christian audience, uh, but it's for anyone who's feeling busy and overwhelmed by digital technology and wants to actually make a bit more space in the clutter of their life. Uh, it does it does push into some topics like uh, digital love or digital worship. I actually express that idea. I talk about the principles of a digital Sabbath, even though I call it a weekly day of rest. Um, but what I think as a, as a believer or follower of Jesus, you will be able to see the theological threads that sit behind the ideas. Uh, they're pretty clear if you actually understand the, the story of, of the Bible and, and how the principles of Christian wisdom might shape our thinking and our habits. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Wonderful to have you with us. Our special guest this hour is Daniel C. He's a bivocational church pastor. He leads the Together Church in Hobart in Tasmania. He's written a book called Space Maker about making space in the digital age for things that really matter. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You can respond to that Facebook question, Do You Think Deep Rest? And real relationships are elusive in our non-stop digital age. In fact, before we take things further in the conversation, uh, Daniel, let's take a call from David, who is in Perth, WA. Hello, David. Welcome along. Yes, good morning. Um, good morning to you guys here. 
Um, and it's like to concur with uh, the statement that he said um, with the digital uh, platforms that's um, in concurrence with um, maybe a bit of idolatry. Um, the devices can take us away from God and we need to have that uh, balance between um, you know, using it as a tool and instead of uh, it being um, something as a, as it will become a slave to a device and it becomes an idol. Uh, and also the reference to a Sabbath. Um, that's right. So um, it says in the Ten Commandments, you shall keep the Sabbath. Um, so that's very good because in this day and age we've sort of forgotten what that means and um, to keep the full Ten Commandments rather than Nine Commandments. David, it's not a fabulously clear line, and I'm not sure listeners, and I uh, hope Daniel might have been able to pick up some things there, but you're talking about this contrast of how the digital world can take us away from faith in God. There needs to be a balance in there, and, and you've got a little bit of a reflection there on the idea of a digital Sabbath. Um, Daniel, what are your thoughts for David? Yeah, look, I, I mean, I agree with what you've said, and Sabbath is one of those... Uh, Unusual, I suppose a doctrine that I hadn't ever really uh, understood or heard about. As you said, we talk about the Nine Commandments and kind of miss this strange idea of Sabbath. Uh, and I've actually spent you know, probably a decade really diving in deeply and reading and trying to understand how, how this concept of Sabbath, uh, a day of rest where God works for six and then rests for one and then commands us in his love to actually rest one day and to, and to put our rest before our work. How, how does that play out in our lives and how does the digital age impact that? Uh, so I've actually got a whole chapter on my reflections, not only of how, uh, why we should actually disconnect from our tech in order to not work, uh, but also how we might do it. Um, and for me particularly, my work is very related to technology. What I do online every single day is my work. I swipe screens, I communicate using a screen, etc. And what I noticed is I was doing exactly the same thing on my day off. Uh, and my brain can't tell the difference between uh, Instagram and Outlook from a neurological perspective. And so I needed to rethink how I used my tools online if I was to truly have a day of not working and I talk about that in the book wonderful stuff David in Perth thank you so much for your call our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 you can respond to our Facebook question today too the Facebook question today asking do you think deep rest and real relationships are elusive in our non-stop digital age? You'll find that question at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Hey, let's talk about a little bit of the science here. And no doubt the science will lead us into a more spiritual conversation here. But when we talk about our brain, Daniel, our brain is influenced by this new age of technology and uh, we're shaped by the things that our brain is taking in. Give us a little idea here about how the science looks. Hmm, look, absolutely. And so as I mentioned before, Neil, I used to be a physiotherapist for more than a decade working in an outpatient clinic. And actually, when I was writing the book, I, I really kept reflecting on a, a client that I met 
Uh, we'll call her Susan, obviously, for confidentiality. But Susan walked into my outpatient clinic like a crab. She was walking in sideways with her head turned 30 degrees to the right. And she knew she looked odd. And her friends were telling her she walked strange and she wanted to get some help. And so when I asked her why she walked the way she did, she, she, she told me that she had had uh, a high-speed car accident a number of years before and had been in a brace because of a whiplash injury. And uh, after years of taking off the brace, she just found that she walked funny. And so I assumed that her neck was actually unable to rotate back to the midline, and yet her movement to both the left and the right was actually relatively good. It was a bit stiff at the end, but not bad, and she didn't have much pain. And so I tried to work out what was going on. And so I stood her in front of a mirror and I said, Susan, close your eyes and turn your head to the left and then to the right. And then I want you to just keep your eyes open, uh, keep your eyes closed and then put your head straight and open them in, uh, to what you think is straight. And she opened her eyes and her head was locked 30 degrees to the right. So what it meant is her brain had changed and her proprioception, her, um, her ability to know where her neck was in space had changed with her mind map. And what she thought was normal was actually 30 degrees to the right and no longer straight. So um, we, we corrected that and it was a great outcome. But what I realized is I feel like with the digital overuse, particularly in a post-COVID world, all of culture has shifted to that right-hand side of the inverted U-curve and are experiencing the symptoms of overusing our technologies. Uh, and yet we can't even see it because uh, our brains have changed over time because whatever we do day by day neurologically impacts our brain. Uh, and we, and the, yeah, and we start very, very young. Uh, I mentioned in the introduction, you yourself, uh, married man, three children. Uh, you've got your own issues from time to time when it comes to this. Uh, you're doing the, you know, the shepherd thing. Uh, you know, the oversight of how your family is developing in a digital age like this too. So uh, this starts very, very young, and I guess it becomes something that we just take for granted as we grow older. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I can't. I remember being uh, a visiting pastor in a church service a while back and the uh, the person stood up and it was a lay person giving a communion talk and it was a beautiful talk and uh, this older gentleman said, I've been in this congregation for 40 years and I've calculated that I've had, it was about 2,000 communions with this very same uh, group of people in this same building and he said, imagine how much this sacrament has shaped my heart and my habits and my discipleship walk and I 100% agree with him uh, but I couldn't help but notice that to my right was an eight-year-old child who was ignoring the entire congregational uh, the, the entire talk and they was they had an iPad and they were playing Angry Birds and I was calculating it adding up in my mind how many times the little, little boy was swiping kind of birds shooting pigs and I reckon he probably swiped that 2,000 times every few days and uh, I suppose it felt to me like there's this disconnect where we we can't necessarily see the impact of early behaviors that we train our kids in in actually shaping their heart and their head and their habits in the same way as rituals have always shaped us uh, we need to consider that in our discipling of the next generation but also in our being apprentices of Jesus ourselves well at the risk of uh, taking this uh, in some sense here, too deep, and uh, I wonder if you can go too deep and listeners might have their own thoughts uh, as I just introduce this here. As you mentioned things like sacraments, 
you know, partaking around a communion table. Uh, those things that we're commanded to do as Christian believers. And, uh, you know, we talk about sacraments oftentimes in Protestant churches, the communion and, of course, the sacrament uh, baptism. Uh, and, of course, in some uh, mainline churches, there's a number more sacraments in there. But these are things that shape who we are. And people who are a part of church services where there is a more traditional liturgy, uh, every church has its own liturgical look and uh, people do all sorts of different things. But these are things that actually shape us as Christian individuals. So when we get to tech and how tech forms us, tech then becomes like an alternative liturgy to the things that God says will shape you to be the people of God and uh, and flourish in those wonderful things. Is tech here an alternative liturgy that shapes us in a way that can be actually drawing us away from God? What are your thoughts here, Daniel? Well, look, I think you're spot on, Neil. Uh, for, what I'm not saying, actually, is that our technology, our tech liturgies have the same power as a sacrament because uh, they're not full of the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit does something in our hearts and our minds when we, let's say, take communion, which is different uh, than Angry Birds. So I'm not putting them on par, but uh, but I think you're spot on in the sense that technology has become a liturgy. In fact, Rod Dreyer, who's a Catholic author who wrote the Benedict Option, I actually have a quote in front of me. He said that to use technology is to participate in a cultural liturgy that if we aren't mindful, trains us to accept the core truth claims of modernity that the only meaning there is in the world is what we choose to assign it in our endless quest to master nature. So it's a bit wordy, but what Rod Dreher is saying is that if we reach for our phone first thing in the morning and last thing at night, if um, we are online 12 hours a day, which is the average for an American, or 9.4, which is the average for an Australian, so more time than we spend eating and drinking or, or um, commuting, traveling, resting, uh, even sleeping, if we spend most of our time online, the ideas that are shaped our within the technology that we use actually will teach us to think and act in a particular way. And technology actually doesn't usually lead us to the conclusion that there is a creator God who loves us and who um, transcends all meaning. What, what technology shows us is what we see and feel and touch and taste is all there is. Uh, and so we actually disciple ourselves into a particular way of thinking, which I suppose you might call secularism, that, that technology is the liturgy that trains us to think in secular ways. And we need to be aware of that as we use technology for good, but also recognize its, its downsides. So it's empowering and uh, the technology can empower and it will take you into all sorts of things that are uh, leading us into an overwhelming uh, life. There's a certain sense in which our Christianity, our discipleship, our attendance to the things that God has called us to attend to, they're also empowering us, but they're introducing us into a different uh, a line of thinking, a different way of thinking, a different behavior. And so our whole lives are different when we're exposed to those things of God. And, and these are the things, I guess, because you're not saying to people, uh, ditch the digital age, ditch the tech. What you're saying is be aware that the tech actually can become something of an alternative liturgy and lead you in a direction that you didn't really intend to go, but it just takes you there naturally. Oh, look, absolutely. And I'm, I'm not anti-tech, and it's absolutely not an anti-tech book. Uh, I'm anti-technology overuse. And I'm, I'm against the idea, against, uh, I recommend uh, that it's not wise to always be online and to never disconnect in order to reflect 
and think deeply uh, to pray and have silence and solitude uh, or to reconnect with loved ones away from a screen. We, we need to be able to gain independence from our technologies so that we can master them. Uh, and, and I mean, look, again, you mentioned the Together Network. Uh, when I was um, in the middle of COVID around March, April, I ended up uh, starting to train everyday Christians for an hour and a half on Zoom uh, for how to say to their friends, do you want to connect uh, in a group to um, be a community, to, to help our neighbors and to read stories of hope from the life of Jesus? And we ended up um, training a few people in Tasmania uh, because of Zoom and technology that spread to Victoria and we had hope groups in Victoria that went to Western Australia, then it went to Mongolia, then it went to Ireland, then it went to the French Congo, then it went to Cam um, the Cayman Islands. We now have hope groups on every continent of the world except Antarctica. We've had new people come to faith on every continent as a result of the digital uh, Silk Road, so to speak. Uh, and we've seen new churches planted in uh, the French Congo, in Brazzaville and Oweso, uh, in a different language, so in French, I don't speak French, and all of that is because of using digital technology for God's glory. So I'm not uh, anti-technology, I've seen it, uh, God use it for amazing things, even in my life, life in the last year, uh, and yet I, I'm very cautious about us diving too deeply in and, and not recognizing that there are ideas and idols embedded in the devices if we don't ever disconnect. Daniel, let's hope uh, we can get into some practical illustrations of how you can do things uh, as we get this part of our conversation underway. One of those that came up in the first part of our conversation, which did attract some uh, some listener attention there, was this idea of a digital Sabbath. And uh, you were reflecting on the idea that, you know, that seems like the only commandment in there you don't need to pay any attention to in a New Testament. But but this idea of a digital Sabbath, that brings really big dimensions here when we start to talk about how impacted we are with tech, doesn't it? Oh, look, absolutely. And yet I feel we have something to offer the broader world as a whole uh, if we can recapture God's vision for a restful society and one that isn't exhausted constantly, uh, one that works from a place of deep rest rather than just works, 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 and then crashes on the couch. Uh, so I think we have something to offer society because of our faith if we can reclaim God's vision for rest ourselves. I'm asking listeners to respond to that Facebook question today, asking, do you think deep rest and real relationships are elusive in our nonstop digital age? I wonder whether we might spend a moment just talking about deep rest. As you say, hmm. this is something that uh, perhaps a lot of us are missing out on because of tech. Uh, what are your thoughts on deep rest? Yeah, so uh, a guy called Cal Newport, who is a productivity writer, he talks about deep work and he's quite popular and he talks about the importance of learning how to work deeply. But I've actually, I actually think that rest is harder to achieve in the digital age than work. Uh, that's the conclusion I'm coming to, coaching leaders and executives around Australia. And so I, I feel like uh, we, don't we kind of assume that rest will happen, that we, we focus on how we might work well, but then we just leave like the spaces in between on our weekends and assume they'll be restful. But I actually think that rest needs to be planned. It needs to be, uh, it's a skill that needs to be developed and that if we can learn to rest deeply, it can really transform our lives. And, and one of the hallmarks of that rest is a, a weekly day off 
where we design uh, a day around the principles of rest and worship, or in my book I say rest and reflection because it's not just for a religious audience, uh, and to actually plan the day and to create rituals where you flip from the work mode to the rest mode, where you identify what is work and what is true rest for me, how do I rest with others if I'm an introvert and they're an extrovert? You know, how do we navigate this together? Uh, and, and how do we uh, disconnect from our technologies if needed in order to experience a full day of, uh, of true rest, both spiritually, uh, mentally and emotionally? Interesting that so many of us right now are in the middle of lockdown and you're in Tasmania and I think you're one of the few around Australia who's not in lockdown right now. Is that the case, Daniel? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm looking very <laughs> okay, smug yeah. right now right. and okay. no one ever wants to talk to me. All right. Now, just while we're talking the, the way we can about lockdown, uh, there's a certain sense, isn't there, that uh, so many of us think that while I'm working in front of computer screens in my work, I go home, but somehow or other I'm changing from one screen to another because I think that that's actually creating rest for me. And uh, given that there's so much of Australia into lockdown, lots of churches won't be meeting face-to-face this weekend. In fact, you'll be doing Zoom church. And I've heard of people getting that idea of uh, Zoom fatigue and they can't watch church on their TV because somehow or other they're fatigued by that. There's a certain sense in which going from one screen to another doesn't actually create any rest. So somehow or other you've got to draw a line in there somewhere. Yeah, look, absolutely. And it's it's really hard. I mean, I, as again, as a church pastor, I ended up running church services on Zoom. And I'm so grateful for technology because it allowed us to maintain a connection, to pray, to, to worship together as a community, even though we couldn't meet face to face. So I'm very, very thankful that we live in this day and age. Uh, and yet I totally agree that if you just flip from Zoom when you're at work to Instagram and Netflix or whatever you're ending up doing for, for rest, uh, neurologically, your brain can't tell the difference. And you're actually not allowing yourself to just pause and to think your own thoughts rather than someone else's thoughts, uh, to actually be still and uh, or, or to experience deep relationships. And so I think some of the practices in the book that I talk about are really relevant in lockdown, uh, particularly the daily habits. There's, there's annual habits, weekly habits, and daily habits. Uh, for example, one of the daily habits is simply to make sure that you eat a meal together at a dinner table without technology. So that's something that you can do even if you're, you're in lockdown. You know, put your phones completely away for an hour uh, and eat together. And the research suggests that families who eat together without tech um, on a regular basis, they raise kids with better uh, homework skills, uh, with better mental health. They're less like 12 year old girls who eat regularly with their families when they're older, are less likely to be pregnant by the age of 18, less marijuana addiction, higher scores, less debt. Like the, the benefits of eating together from a secular research perspective are tremendous. Uh, and it's actually quite simple. And, and it actually doesn't matter whether you're feeding good food like organic, you know, organic broccoli or whether you're just feeding, um, I don't know, frozen pizza from Woolworths. The research says that the food that you serve doesn't matter for the benefits of um, eating together. It's, it's all about connecting with people you love face to face without a screen. And you can do this. Uh, and there's lots of little habits like that that can help you to pause and disconnect 
in order to experience the fullness of humanity, even in lockdown. It still takes discipline, but what you're sharing here isn't rocket science. This is, as you say, it's simple. Eat a meal together without your technology. Leave your phone in your bedroom, uh, come to the to the dinner table and sit around the table and uh, look at each other in the eye and have some face-to-face time and uh, that's something that I want to just ask you about because actually there's a lot of people who have given up meeting together for church and oftentimes COVID actually is the excuse for some not to be a part of their church and I've heard of churches where uh, they've been able to come back together and meet but there's been some who have been reluctant to come back and do face-to-face church because hey it seems easier just to sit in front of a screen and do church. What are your thoughts for the value of meeting together face-to-face in church even though right this coming weekend many might not be able to do that yeah look i I mean we call ourselves together church uh because i'm really passionate about togetherness Uh, but for me togetherness actually involves face-to-face connection i see that relationships can be augmented by and strengthened through online networking and through online connection but if you disconnect yourself from a uh, a covenanted uh, on uh, face-to-face relationship with people who actually smell and who are annoying and who have bad habits, uh, who aren't just like you, well, then I feel like you lose a, a big part of what it means to be the church. And actually, we could look at the research in terms of social media because I think that probably explains it from a different perspective, uh, if that's of interest. Yep, we can get into some of that. What was going through my mind is even to the idea of reading a book, one with pages that you flip through, is there some sort of difference to reading a book online or having a Kindle or, you know, is there something here that that we ought to be aware of? Yeah, look, I'm not sure about the research around books, but <laughs> I, I love paper but uh, books. I just can't go to online Kindles, but that's just me personally. Uh, there is a fascinating group of research studies that look at phones and, and face-to-face conversations, which I think is really relevant. That They showed that if you um, are in a conversation and you put your phone down on a table in front of like in front of you, just having a conversation with someone, uh, it's face down, turned off, and not even touched during the conversation. The perceived level of emotional connection and the vulnerability shared in that conversation goes down. That's a scientific study with a control group where there was a phone versus a notepad. Uh, And in a similar research study, they looked at, um, they called it a complex cognitive reasoning. So they gave people complex tasks to solve uh, and and they tried it with the phone on uh, in front of people where they didn't touch it versus without it. And actually people can't problem solve as well when they have their phone in front of them, even if they don't touch it, compared to when their phone is put away. Because uh, the research uh, the researchers concluded that the phone is like a a toddler and you always have one bit of your mental energy focused on whether it will ring or call even if you're not touching it so so what it's saying is there's a sense where actually the quality of our relationships and the emotional and vulnerable connections we have with people are actually reduced when they're augmented by a screen uh, and so we shouldn't replace face-to-face relationships for tech relationships exclusively. Wow. Well, you know, we often will talk about uh, mental health challenges being almost like another pandemic, uh, the rising anxiety, uh, depression issues. 
And when we compare that to the sort of deep rest you're talking about, I wonder whether just the fact that we've got this rise in the digital age, uh, our reliance on tech going from one screen to another and we're constantly in a non-stop digital world, do you think this is a contribution to this sort of mental health challenge, this pandemic of uh, anxiety that we're seeing now? I absolutely do. Uh, there's a researcher, Jean Twenge, who is like the preeminent generational researcher in the US. And she wrote a book called iGen. And she looked at massive, massive long-term longitudinal studies in the US. And she found that around 2011, 2012, something totally changed that they've never seen since the 1930s, where um, basically a generation was created overnight and and they went through all the data and they tried to work out uh, was it the you know was it the GFC was it a migration was it educational or political changes they couldn't find anything that correlated to this massive shift in anxiety depression um, and a, a change in the way we socialize and then they realized that actually the moment the entire generation of US teens shifted was the moment the iPhone reached 50% saturation in the US market. And ever since that happened, culture across the West has changed dramatically, increase, and, and that includes high levels of anxiety, high levels of depression uh, and mood disorders, and actually really sadly high levels of suicide. Uh, now it's not all bad. Um, there are, you know, there's an increase in safetyism, the desire to be safe. Uh, there are some other really positive aspects to the new generation. It's not that the generation are bad, but there is no doubt that, uh, that something has changed in the mental health of younger people that is starting to translate into all of culture uh, and it seems very likely that there's a correlation between our digital tools and mental health and and that that is slowly coming out in the research it's not conclusive yet but uh, it's pointing very closely towards suggesting that it's causative not just correlative so many of us will have our own anecdotal stories uh, to be able to highlight the idea that there is a really ch- big challenge here. Hey, let me get deeply spiritual here for a few moments with you, Daniel, because you've thought through these issues wonderfully. Uh, let me ask you about the idea of idolatry. Now, that's something we don't often get to explore too much, but it is obviously a part of our scriptural foundation as Christian believers. And, uh, you know, we can look at Old Testament idolatry and uh, we can sort of try and say, well, what is the modern equivalent of that? Is our reliance or our addiction to tech uh, like a modern idolatry? (laughs) That's a good question, Neil. Uh, I think one of the... uh one of the listeners talked about the Ten Commandments before, and obviously the first two are about loving God first and not loving idols. Uh, so it's really central to our faith and our understanding of who we are as Christians. Uh, so in my mind, you know, I think about idols like, let's say there's a Mesopotamian uh, father or man, I don't know, in 600 AD, a, a BC, a long time ago, and he goes and he cuts a tree down from the forest and will fashion some type of image of a fish or a, a goat or a person and put it into their house and, and call it their, their family god. Uh, we call that an idol. And, and they will then attribute meaning to that object and they'll talk to it 
uh, they will personify it. And the scriptures say that it's not just that the wood itself has become a demon, but uh, by by putting your love and your longing into that object, uh, in, in allowing that object to become the object of your affection, you actually allow demons to actually transform and shape you as a person. And therefore, if you can no longer hear reason or rationality, you can't see that this thing is something that you chop down from the forest because from now on, when you talk to it, uh, you're talking to the idol rather than to the person themselves. So that's, that's the concept of idol worship. Uh, and then um, what I did in the book is I looked at Psalm 115, which says, you know, why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does what pleases him. Uh, but their gods, their idols are, you know, silver and gold. They, they're made by hands. Uh, they have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes they can't see and, you know, ears, that, but they can't hear, that kind of thing. So it's making fun of idols. And what I did is I wrote, I, I, I tried to write my own digital translation. So let me, let me read this for you, if that's okay. Sure, yes. Uh, so here's, here's my own, you know, Daniel revised version of the Bible uh, with no biblical scholarship whatsoever, but uh, Psalm 115. So why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Their idols are lithium, cobalt, glass made by human hands. They have cameras but cannot see. Siri, but cannot speak. They have touch screens, but cannot feel. 5G mobility, but cannot walk. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Wow. And when I put that up, I just realized how relevant idolatry is today and how much the old idea that we might worship through our tools and put our love and our longings into something, how relevant that is actually for us as apprentices of Jesus. And you highlight something important here, that if you are in that space where you are addicted to the technology, you're not actually thinking for yourself. Uh, your thoughts and behaviours are being shaped by all of the influences that are coming through the tech device. So when we talk about, and you know, we've been talking about deep rest and real relationships, the other element that you do like to talk about there is uh, as the ability to have real thinking time. So uh, you, some people might be thinking, well, maybe I don't think as well as I do if I've got all these thoughts com constantly bombarding me. But, but real thinking time is a part of what happens when you're actually having a rest from the digital technology. Mm, absolutely, and look, we've talked about big ideas, you know, neuro neurological changes and and Zoom fatigue and you know idolatry from the Psalms. I mean, so this is like what I call the paradigm that we need to reframe our paradigm or our relationship with technology. Uh, but in reality, the the solutions are actually really simple, and I find that encouraging. Uh, we actually simply need to disconnect from our phones, our devices, and tools. Uh, not constantly, but just in in a periodic or systematic way, just to have pauses and rhythms and practices where we're not always online. Like, I mean, I mentioned, you know, turn off your phone when you eat dinner. That's one. Um, charge your phone outside of your bedroom so that last thing at night you can actually pause and reconnect with your partner or, or husband, wife, for example, or, or just or reconnect with with children or just sit in silence and first thing in the morning when you wake up you don't start with the news you don't have your phone uh, so again the the habits are really simple and hopefully that's encouraging because um, I wouldn't want to 
uh, I suppose, exhaust people with the idea that this is something that's really hard to hard to do it's that yeah the, the point is that you can overcome addiction with a few very simple practices that just simply allow you to fast from the things that you're addicted to and allow your heart to be recalibrated back towards god i think it's easy to relate to the idea when you talk about rhythms to unplug and to unwind and to reconnect with loved ones and these sorts of things Sounds simple. Yes, they're hard to do, but you have to create a rhythm, and that would be what a digital Sabbath would do because you would say, okay, one day a week I'm going to be separate from my digital devices. But these rhythms that you might create for a daily routine, I I imagine that's what you're saying is that these things need to be routine, that you actually have a rest so that you give your time to think, uh, that you've got time to uh, have that deeper rest and to actually form those important relationships relationships a rhythm there is important to, to be thinking about definitely and look this is what spiritual disciplines are you know they we create a discipline which is determining something we want to change that's aligned with our values that will shape our heart and our mind towards christ whether it be reading the bible every day or praying so you you start with discipline and eventually it becomes a delight uh, and and the more you do it, the more it shapes you, and the more you're shaped, the more you delight in doing it. So uh, this is what a spiritual practice has always done. But we we need spiritual disciplines related to unplugging from our devices. Uh, so like you said, how do you think deeply? Well, I have a practice where uh, in the morning I read the Bible, I write in my journal, you know, things I'm thankful for. Uh, I, I write some reflections on Scripture. I have a period of time where I'm disconnected from my technologies. I don't have my phone by my side. I use the old analog Bible, you know, paper version, yes. <laughs> um, because I find it hard to have my phone and not then check my email. Uh, and so that's just one pattern where I learn to think deeply. Uh, does that make sense? So you want to create spiritual practices which relate to technology by unplugging and focusing on thinking, resting, and connecting with loved ones. And you give us something there of a goal uh, to delight in the changes. And as you were saying that word delight, I couldn't help but thinking of that scripture, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, That's a certain delight that can come as you change the practice, as you change the rhythm of your life and get your focus on Jesus and on those discipleship uh, ways that we can have those disciplines of our lives. Daniel, some people are going to be saying, saying, well, how do I get a hold of Daniel's book? Where's the best place? How's the easiest way? And listeners to our conversation all over Australia today, uh, how's the, uh, the easiest way to get a hold of your book, Space Maker? Yeah, look, thanks for the question. Uh, so Space Maker is a paperback. It's an ebook, and it's also an audio book. So if you want to grab the physical copy, which I love the best, uh, you could look at Kurong has them, the Book Depository, Amazon, uh, Fishpond, you know, Booktopia. Most bookshops have this book available. Uh, if you are an ebook reader and want to, uh, to, to read through Kobo or uh, Kindle, just go to the normal stores. And similarly, audio books are available with me speaking out the book and uh, you can hear more of my voice. I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, you can get that from Audible. 
And Daniel, I didn't uh, pay a lot of attention to your skills and expertise. Uh, You're a productivity consultant, a company director. Uh, We mentioned that you're a bivocational pastor leading Hobart Church. And you train Christians around the world in how to read the Bible with unchurched friends. Let's just spend a last moment here, just uh, uh, this idea of training people around the world. How can we participate in that? Oh, look, absolutely. So we have a website called Together Network. Uh, so togethernetwork.com.au. And if you're interested in learning how to uh, read stories of hope from the life of Jesus with unchurched friends, so to connect, let's say, through Zoom or WhatsApp with three or four people, maybe two people who are followers of Jesus and one or two friends who you know and love who aren't, uh, and, and how might you do that? I can teach you in an hour and a half how to do that just by registering. It's all free. It's just a, it's a gift that we give to the global church, and we have one at night, one in the day to hit different time zones. Uh, but the the process of a hope group is really simple. You get together with three or four people, online or offline, depending on your context, and you ask the questions, what are you thankful for? And everyone shares gratitude. You say, what's the challenge in my life right now? And everyone shares from the heart. So there's a sense of fellowship or koinonia. Uh, then we read a story of hope from the life of Jesus, so a parable, that, and there's a set group of uh, readings, uh, and you read it, and then you read it, and you retell it in your own words, and then you ask, what's it say about God? What's it say about um, people? And then how does it speak to my heart, so to me personally, my heart, not just my head? And then we ask the question, how can you help someone in need, and you all commit to help a neighbor practically? And then I teach people how to say a quick prayer, which is appropriate and often welcomed by unbelievers, people who are just exploring uh, the Bible or faith for the first time. Uh, And it works so well and it multiplies because it's just five things, you know. All you have to remember is thanks, challenge, scripture, help, and prayer. And uh, what I've seen is we'll start a group and then someone will become a believer and they can start a group. And then it just multiplies because of the simplicity. And I, I truly believe that discipleship should be uh, simple and uncomplicated, even though it's very costly. It should be costly but not complicated. And, and if we can teach people how to be disciples of Jesus and how to make disciples, we can see uh, the promise of multiplication, which is a kingdom principle, happen. And we're seeing this globally. Well, Daniel, I know listeners uh, will hear just how significant it is, those things that you're sharing today. Uh, Lots of people will want to get a hold of your book. It's called Space Maker. And for listeners in Tasmania, those who are around Hobart, uh, Daniel is leading the Together Church in Hobart. Now, spacemakers.com.au, you can get a hold of Daniel's book in all those great bookstores. You can follow Daniel on social media at Shift the way you work and uh, I've also got another little note here about emailninja.com.au that's something special of yours too Daniel uh, yes we have a program uh, with you know a lot of students globally uh, to teach people how to get their email inbox to zero every day and spend less time on their email so it's a productivity course that basically helps you um, not spend so much time on email but to actually be responsive, yeah, it's it's just one of our products. Well, uh, let's uh, let's hope listeners can catch on to one of those number of dimensions that make up who you are, Daniel. Uh, wonderful to get your insights today. I want to say thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks so much, Neil. I really appreciate it. God bless. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.